<laughs> Welcome to Celebration Church. <laughs> Let's all stand together, shall we? It's our campuses join with us in Appleton and Stevens Point. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us. Again, greetings to Stevens Point Campus and Appleton as well. Merry Christmas to all you guys. I uh, want to have a quick uh, go beyond update, our fundraising campaign. Uh, see where we're at. $52,000 in Appleton so far, 109,000 Stevens Point, 133 West Green Bay, and 504,000 at the East Green Bay campus for a total of $799,481. Praise God. <clears throat> ah, Wednesday nights, we want to encourage you to come out. We're doing our special Advent series where we're doing uh, taking Christmas stories, old Christmas uh, films and stuff and uh, taking messages from those. Kind of a fun thing that you can do on Wednesday night. Also an opportunity to bring the kids out and get them involved in the kids' programs. Uh, we are doing a bit of a change. Uh, for many years, uh, I used to be doing verse-by-verse uh, -verse Bible studies on Wednesday night. And then we opted to change that for a number of reasons, uh, to encourage people more to get involved in small group uh, sessions And as I travel around the country, nobody in the world seems like they do Wednesday nights anymore. And I thought, why are we doing this? Let's not do it anymore. But after all this year or two off, uh, we've decided to go back to doing it. A lot of people say they miss doing it. It's amazing how many people watch it all over the world. I've gotten emails and letters and comments as I travel around. Oh, we watch your podcasts and we missed your Wednesday night Bible studies and uh, homeschoolers are saying, you know, we used to show these to our kids to help them learn about the Bible. So we're going to pick that up again, uh, starting the first of the year, Wednesday nights out here with me, uh, going uh, verse by verse through the Bible, even though nobody else says that today. I'm going to keep doing it. So. The most exciting part is you get to see me again. Uh, also, remind you of our New Year's Eve bash. We're having a big old blast at uh, our Appleton campus this year. It's uh, middle ground for the guys over in Stevens Point, driving down to Appleton for us here, 30 minutes or so down to Appleton. If you've never been to our Appleton campus, you ought to come down. It's a fabulous facility, uh, very intimate and very cool lights and the whole setup. And uh, we're going to be dancing and it's going to be formal. I'm going to be in my tuxedo and... All the ladies are going to be dressed to kill, and it'll be fabulous. We're going to have a great time dancing and celebrating. Starts at uh, 9.30, uh, so I'll give you plenty of time to go out for dinner and get the kids pan off to uh, grandma or strangers in the street or whatever you do. And then uh, uh, come on out and uh, from 9.30 until midnight. It'll be a fun, safe environment as we party in the new year. Uh, the tickets are, on, uh, are available. You need to have a ticket ahead of time so you know how many people are coming. Suggested donation for the tickets are 
dollars. You say, I can't, affect, I can't afford $15. Well, it's a suggested donation, okay? Doesn't have to be 15. It could be 150. I'd appreciate that. Uh, so whatever you want to do, just again, mo mostly just so we know who's coming and how many are coming so we can get, you know, the refreshments and everything all set up for that. And it's going to be all decorated. We're, we're going to have a blast. All right. Now, today's message, uh, beginning a three-week series uh, during the month of December, <laughs> whatever month this is, Christmas, as you saw in the title, Ho, 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 Hoes of the Bible. Now, let it be known for the record, my wife is appalled by the title to this message. <laughs> and she yelled at me, don't you dare do that. <laughs> she doesn't have a problem with the message, she just didn't like the title. Too bad. So anyway, <laughs> uh, I say, Why? whoa, what a terrible thing. Now, I can't bring my grandma to Christmas during the month of December. Sure you can. This is not a salacious message. It's not going to be graphic or nasty in any way, shape, or form, and it's certainly not looking down our bony ecclesiastical noses at people who have failed morally. Lots of people have failed morally in our culture today, and Jesus said, look, whether you actually do it or you just thought about it in your heart, you're in the same guilty categories. That pretty much wraps up the rest of us. So, uh, you know, this isn't about condemning uh, people. Uh, the word ho is kind of a new, <laughs> new word <laughs> in our culture. You can find it in the Urban Dictionary. It basically refers to someone who is sexually immoral. Uh, and it can be male or female. Someone who's sexually immoral, you call him a hoe. He's a hoe, all right? So uh, amazingly, there are lots of hoes in the Bible. And uh, you say, well, why are you talking about that for Christmas? Because while there was a glorious star and magical night during the Christmas story, that's really not why there was a Christmas. And while there were angels celebrating in the heavens in a glorious an amazing techno-color display. That's not why there was a Christmas. And while a manger and shepherds and wise men were all part of the Christmas story, and it's fine to celebrate that and fun to celebrate that. That's really not why there was a Christmas. Why did Jesus come? We sum it all, actually Jesus summed it all up in John, the Gospel of John, third chapter 16. John 3.16, very famous portion of scripture which says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, that is the Christmas story, that God sent his son into the world to save the world. You see, Christmas story isn't about really sparkles, wonders, and silent nights. It's a story about redemption. It's why Jesus came and came for some of the worst of us. You know, one of the big knocks on Jesus is the kind of people that he allowed himself to hang around and intentionally hung around. You know, when he first came on the scene teaching, he's an amazing teacher. He was one of the greatest, the greatest teacher, really, in the history of mankind. Even people who are non-Christians who don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah concede, wow, what a brilliant orator, what an incredible way of teaching and explaining things to people. Jesus was an amazing teacher, and the people of the day were stunned to hear him. On top of that, people would come, and he would pray for them. Miracles, people who were sick were being healed. I mean, it was wild. The Bible says multitudes of people would gather around him. He was the rock star of the day. I mean, it was a big deal. For a very short time, he only had a ministry of three years. 
But for a very short time, he was incredibly popular because of his teachings and because of the miracles that he did and people. And that day, to go hang around somebody like that in the middle of the day, and I mean, it was a huge inconvenience, but the draw was overwhelming to hear this man speak, to see what he could do, much less if you were a person who had need of what he could do. And the religious people of the day also gathered around him. And this was a very religious culture. I mean, seriously religious. You think we have a religious culture or you came from a religious culture? You don't know Jack. Your little Methodist grandma was nothing compared to these people. These people were religious off the charts. They were strict, disciplined. I mean, wow. It was a stunning environment into which Jesus stepped into. And these religious, righteous people who actually celebrated not being one of the filthy ones. The one man who stood at the temple praying says, God, I thank you I'm not like this filthy sinner. I thank you, God, that I'm a good man. And all this. You know, these people really, really got caught up in earning their own righteousness before God and doing this and following all the rules. And they had rules that would make your granny's head spin rules about everything in life and they were consumed by these rules and they lived by these rules and celebrated their own righteousness and holiness and they intentionally stayed away from people who they did not consider righteous and they were pretty broken down into three groups one were the drunkards they did not approve of the drunkards looked down upon the drunkards clearly these people can't control themselves they're destroying their own lives they're drunkards be pitied and not to be associated with. The other one, as we talked about last week, were the uh, tax collectors. They hated the tax collectors. That's so much because of the taxes. Nobody likes paying taxes. Uh, and it wasn't about that. It was that these guys were collaborators with the enemy. They were under the uh, uh, rule of this oppressive army. They had invaded their land. The Romans had come. They were the occupiers of their land. And then they would come to collect taxes and they would hire locals who basically collaborated with the enemy. They were highly despised, these people. Uh, not only did they coll collaborate with the enemy collecting money for Rome, but then they would line their own pockets, overcharging people. They tended to become very wealthy as they lined their own pockets and sent money to Rome. And they hated these guys. These guys were the sellouts, the traitors of the day. And the third ones were the sexually immoral people, and the prostitutes, and those people, those what we would call in our inner cities today, the hoes. Nobody wanted anything to do with hoes. And Jesus came, and they were mortified when they saw him intentionally hanging and associating with drunkards, prostitutes, and tax collectors. And they were stunned by it. In Luke, the ninth chapter, we're reading where the people were just, what in the world is he doing? How can this be happening? And why are you doing this? And Jesus responds in Luke 19, 10. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, you think about that word. This word seek, that's like intentionally looking. It's one thing to find stuff. We all find stuff. Hey, I found 10 bucks. Ooh, you know, so you find stuff in your pockets you didn't know was there. Or, you know, find stuff. And some of them are good finds. Some not so good. <laughs> Ugh, look at that. You know, we find things. Others would look for stuff, but you talk about intentionally seeking. When you've, we've all been there, well, you're intentionally seeking for, like you lost your wallet. What do you do? The whole world stops. 
The world has to stop spinning on its axis. Everybody stop, everybody help. We've got, I can't find my wallet. I can't find my keys. That's horrible because I can't go anywhere to get away from your kids. So now you gotta look. And you've gotta find everybody, look for the keys. We've gotta find the keys and you're seeking intensely, intensely or, or you lose your glasses. You ever lose your glasses? That was a sign of geezerhood. <laughs> when you spend an hour and a half looking for your glasses, only to finally discover them sitting on the top of your head. <laughs> Many of us have done that. It's a sign of things to come. It's intentionality. Let's be inconvenienced. Go out of our way. Jesus sought after people who were terrible failures, who had done horrible things, who had done things that all of society and even a lot of society today would look very down on. How could you do such a thing? Jesus intentionally looked after those kinds of people. You know, I meet a lot of people in town who say they watch me on TV. All you slackers out there in TV land. <laughs> go to church. <laughs> but, but they don't go to church and they kid around. I can't go to church, you know. Lightning would strike me dead. You've heard people say that, right? I can't go to church. What they're saying is, but they're, they're kidding around, but they're not kidding. They feel bad. They know the things they've done. And they really feel that they have no place being in church. I got news for you. If you are a complete, lousy, horrible, miserable person who has done terrible things, welcome to Celebration Church. Hallelujah. We don't celebrate the terrible things people have done. We just celebrate the people who've done them. It's called forgiveness. It's called kindness. It's called mercy. And it's called grace. That's really what Christmas is all about. In Matthew, the ninth chapter, another account where the religious people, the Pharisees of the day, they saw Jesus hanging with these undesirables. And the Pharisees saw this and they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus replied, look, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. You ever been to a hospital? Spent a lot of time in hospitals lately. The problem with hospitals is they're full of sick people. <laughs> but that's who goes to hospitals. People who are sick, who are in great need. Jesus said it's not the healthy who need the doctors, it is the sick. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Quoting from them, from the Old Testament, the very scriptures they knew but weren't listening to. He says, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, the ones who have failed, the ones who've made terrible mistakes, horrible decisions. Jesus, that's, that's who I've come for. You see, that, that's the Christmas story. We read in Luke, the seventh chapter, it says one of the Pharisees, again, these religious leaders of the day, you know, it's quite the honor to be associated with these people in that culture and this Pharisee invites Jesus over for dinner. He invited Jesus to have dinner with him, and Jesus goes to the Pharisee's house. It's like going to the mayor's house. You know, it's a big deal, a religious leader. And the Bible says Jesus reclined at the table with this highly esteemed man. So he's chillaxing with the religious leaders of the day. Everyone approved of these people. Oh, yeah, so such wonderful, wonderful people. 
The Bible says a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. What do you think she did? We're not talking about somebody who didn't recycle. She was a hoe. And his hoe, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Sorry, Debbie. Uh, <laughs> she learned that Jesus was at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, how she even got in is a little bit of a stunner. You know, like, we're security, right? But the reason they weren't even watching to keep people like that out is because they had made it so clear that people like that are not welcome here. You don't need security. Everybody knows. She knew. She has no business being here. We don't want your kind here. You're not welcome here. She comes anyway. It says that she stood behind Jesus at his feet, and she starts weeping. Now, that's got to be creepy. You're sitting there at dinner, chillaxing. Somebody behind you is crying. <laughs> she keeps crying. She falls at his feet, and now tears are falling on his feet. She began to wet his feet with her tears. And then, ooh, she touches him. Ah! She's got cooties. She wiped his feet with her hair, and he kissed his feet. And she's putting perfume on his feet. And now the guys around the table are like, ew! Now they're in a state of shock. Because I think, first of all, how'd she get in here? And secondly, doesn't he realize who this is? Remember, he's a great prophet. He's the prophet of the day, a man of God. They at least admitted that. They didn't want to admit he was the Messiah. The religious people couldn't quite get their heads around that, these leaders, but... He claims to be a prophet. He has all these insights into people's lives. In fact, the Bible says when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a hoe. Jesus looked at him and said, I want to ask you a question. He says, okay, what? He said, there was a guy we had two people who owed him a lot of some money. We'll use American dollars for the sake of argument here. But one guy owed him $5,000, another guy owed him $50. And he forgave them both. He said, which one do you think was more grateful? And the Pharisee said, well, the one who owed him more money. He says, you're right. He says, that's why she's acting the way she is. You see, it's the ones who've been forgiven of great misdeeds in their lives who really get this. I have no problem with people who've made terrible mistakes. They're easy, quite frankly, to deal with. It's easy to speak into their lives. You know who's hard to talk to as a pastor? People think there's nothing wrong with them. Nothing wrong with me. I ain't done nothing. Stupid neighbor, he does stuff all the time. The dog's always pooping in my yard. He's going to hell. <laughs> those people, you have a hard time talking to those people. There's nothing wrong with them. They're so righteous and holy. I don't need anything. I the nice thing about someone who's made big mistakes is they know they've made the mistakes. They tend not to be very arrogant. They tend to be pretty open. And when they get this message of grace into their hearts, they are incredibly thankful. These are the people who are the most grateful in churches. They're the ones who work the hardest. They're the ones who give the most amount of money. 
They're the ones who sacrifice and give the most amount of their time. Why? They are so grateful because they've been forgiven of so much. That woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears. Now that, that's the Christmas story. We read of another encounter. In John, the fourth chapter, Jesus comes. He's at this well. It's the middle of the day. His disciples go in for town to get some food and stuff. Leaves Jesus by himself. This lady comes out in the middle of the day to draw water from the well. Undoubtedly, she came at a time where she knew nobody else would be there because she knew who she was. She had been around and around and around and around. This girl had made a lot of mistakes, a lot of history. She goes out there and she gets water when no one's there to embarrass her, humiliate her. Jesus sees her and starts talking to her. Now, there's all kinds of lines being broken here. First of all, he doesn't know who she is. If he knew who she was, surely he would not talk to her. Secondly, he's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. They had nothing to do with each other. He's breaking that rule. Separation. And on top of it, he's a man, she's a woman. There's all kinds of rules. You know, they had some big walls in those days. And Jesus just starts talking to this lady he doesn't know anything about in the context that he shouldn't be talking to her from the world's perspective. Starts talking about the water that she's drawing, working hard to pull water out of the well. Jesus starts talking to her about living water, real water that satisfies your soul. Jesus says to her, says, look, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And it's hard to tell whether she was clueless or just being sarcastic. But she says, well, give me some of this water so I won't get thirsty. I have to come back to the stupid well. And Jesus said, okay, go call your husband and come back. Well, now she freaks. This momentary, you know how sometimes you have this momentarily panic. It's only a nanosecond, but boy, it seems like a long time. Because she knew, go call my husband. This girl had been around. She says to Jesus, I, I have no husband. And Jesus said this to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. <laughs> oh my gosh. You got to wonder, what was number five thinking? <laughs> I mean, clearly, now this says a lot. You got to kind of fill in the blanks here. 2,000 years ago, here's a woman. She probably was drop dead gorgeous. See, it's one thing, men will easily use a woman, but to marry her is a big statement, big step, big statement. Five men signed up for this girl, <laughs> only to discover <laughs> underneath all that and found all kinds of version of crazy and got out of the door as quick as they could. Then the next one came around, signed up again. One, two, three, four, five, and he says, you're right, you've had five husbands, the guy you're with now, you're not even bothering to marry him. You're right, what you've just said is quite true. You don't have a husband. And she freaks. Because Jesus knows her. But despite the fact that he knew who she was, knew her sins, knew the racial barrier, knew the sex barrier, all these things of the day, he spoke words of life and kindness to her. Why? Because he's seeking. He's looking for people nobody else wants. That's the Christmas story. And finally, one of the 
big stories of the New Testament is this account that we see in the Gospel of John. It says, at dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law, these religious, pointy-headed people, very righteous, and teachers of the law and the Pharisees, brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group. They are humiliating her. No sense of covering her shame. No sense of cutting her a break. No sense of just, I mean, just, they're dragging her out publicly in the public square. And they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, when I read this, all I can think about is, where's the guy? Because she's caught in the act, and it ain't a solo act. Are you hearing me? Oh, but they let the guy go. Oh, it's not his fault. It's her fault. We hear this to this day, right? She asked for it. She's the one who did it. She's the hoe. She's the... Yeah, interesting. The boy gets off. They drag the girl in. Now, according to the law, the Levitical law, which is very strict, anyone caught in the situation is allowed to be stoned to death. So they dragged the slave in, caught in the very act. He says, in the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. What do you mean? They knew that he would try to let her off. See, that's what they just ticked him off. Not only did he intentionally hang around such people, he was quick to forgive these people, which they thought was a travesty. You should be alienating, you should be criticizing, you should be condemning these people. You shouldn't have anything to do with them. You spend time with them and you say it's okay and you're forgiving them of their sins. How dare you? And they knew they got him now because in front of everybody, here's this woman, she's caught in the act. Nobody could defend her. She was guilty as guilty could be. So we should stone her. What do you think now, Jesus? The Bible says Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. They kept on questioning, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. See, he didn't contradict the law. Yeah, she deserves to be killed. He didn't contradict it. He didn't make anything radical. He just simply said, whoever's without sin, you be the first one to throw a stone. And the Bible says he stooped down again and wrote on the ground. Now, it doesn't say what he wrote on the ground. Who knows what he wrote? Maybe he was writing their names and their sins and their shortcomings and their faults and their failures. At that, those who heard what he said began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. Why? They had more sins. <laughs> the longer you are, the more failures. It's amazing, the older you get, the more you realize you don't know nearly as much. I was a lot smarter when I was 20. <laughs> At 60, I'm on the verge of dumb as a brick. Start to realize you're not as smart as you think you are, tough as you think you are. One at a time, the oldest one started walking away. Finally, when they got all done, it says that just only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now think of this. Everybody's gone. It's just her and Jesus. Why didn't she run? Here's her chance. Get out of there. I'll tell you why. Anyone who's been through anything close to this knows why. 
your shame, the guilt of your failures and your faults are so overwhelming, you don't run. You know who you are, you know what you've done. Everybody knows what you've done. Where is she gonna run? And Jesus asked her, woman, where did everybody go? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, probably through the tears in her eyes, the humiliation, not even looking at him, down at the ground. And Jesus says to her, then neither do I condemn you. Now go, leave your life of sin. He was always trying to get them to turn away from them. He's not saying it's okay to do these bad things. He doesn't want you to do bad things. But the good news is if you do, there's forgiveness and there's redemption with him. Redemption is to take something that seems broken beyond repair and you take it and you redeem it. You buy it back, you fix it. You make something out of nothing. You see the woman caught in the act of adultery. That, that's the Christmas story. You want to really live out a true Christmas this year? Intentionally seek Not just stumble across, intentionally look for someone who's lost their way. Maybe a neighbor nobody can stand. Maybe that one friend that doesn't have any family that you can invite over and be part of their Christmas. Be kind to people, maybe who aren't very kind to you. People, and some people this time of year are such jerks. I gotta just go shopping, you run into them. <laughs> Bless those who curse you. Give somebody a hug who maybe doesn't smell very nice. Maybe someone who smells of booze or cigarette smoke, or if you're from Colorado, marijuana. <laughs> gotta include everybody. Be willing to associate with people whom others don't want to associate with. You young people, grade school, particularly high school, junior high, high school, you want to live out your Christian faith? All of you know those kids nobody likes. The fat girl, the kid with really big, thick glasses, kind of dorky, dresses bad. Why don't you be their friend? Why don't you sit down and have lunch with them? Invite them to be part of your world. Oh, I don't want to. I know you don't want to. That's the point. Nobody wants these people. You want to really live out your Christian faith? You love people that nobody else loves. Never, ever think that someone is beyond redemption. And if you're here this morning and you have done really bad things, you might still be in the midst of your own shame and your own failures. I want you to know something. God loves you. He does. He doesn't approve of what you did, but you know that. But he loves you. Come to him. Let him forgive you. Let him pick you up, clean you off. In the midst of all your death, let him breathe his life into you. Because redemption is really what the Christmas story is all about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I know there's lots of people listening to me right now, sitting over in Stevens Point this morning, our Appleton campus here in Green Bay, people 
listening to us online all over the world, people watching us on television all over central and north central Wisconsin who've done some really bad things, who feel like there's little to no hope for them. Lord, help them to understand that you're a God who loves them, that there's always hope, there's always forgiveness, there's redemption, because that's what Christmas is really about. Help us, Lord, to truly love people, even those who are very unlovable, and to show your kindness, because in doing so, that is what the Christmas story is really all about. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. See ya.